and welcome to the Public School Matters podcast presented by the North Carolina Association of School Administrators. I'm Katherine Joyce, NCASA's Executive Director, and joining me as she does for each episode is Legal Affairs and Policy Manager Elizabeth Yelverton. Together, we talk about the legislative and policy news affecting our public schools in North Carolina. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. This week, in honor of the North Carolina General Assembly officially kicking off their 2023 legislative session last week, Catherine and I are previewing um, the 2023 legislative session and going over NCASA's uh, 2023 legislative and policy priorities. And what a start to the legislative session it was, right, Elizabeth? You're you're preaching to the choir, Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) This session, as, as we're seeing it already, is shaping up to be very interesting, with Democratic Governor Roy Cooper's legislative veto power literally hanging by a very thin thread. Senate Republicans have control of three-fifths of that chamber, also known as a supermajority, and House Republicans are just one vote shy of having their own supermajority. So attendance for Democrats in every voting session of this General Assembly will be very critical. That's right, Catherine. Uh, And you might remember that none of the legislation that Governor Cooper has actually vetoed has been overridden in the past years because Republicans just haven't had those voting margins. But we could see that change this year. You know, if a Democrat gets stuck in traffic or has to leave the room to use the restroom, I mean, our margins here are very thin. And we've also got some new power dynamics this year, but of course we still have some of the same main players. So we know that Republican Senator Phil Berger was reelected as Senate President pro tempore, and Republican Representative Tim Moore was reelected as Speaker of the House. And as far as um, committee leadership goes, we saw that Senator Michael Lee of New Hanover was reappointed co-chair of the Senate Education Committee. That's a post he held previously. But now he is joined by new um, co-chair Senator Amy Gailey of Alamance County. Senator Gailey was also promoted to co-chair of the Education Appropriations Committee alongside uh, other new co-chairs, including Senator Lisa Barnes of Franklin County and Dean Proctor. And the House just released their committee assignments with Representatives Hugh Blackwell, Tricia Ann Cotham, and John Torbett being named the co-chairs of the House K-12 Education Committee. And for the Education Appropriations Committee, Representatives John Hardister, David Willis, and John Torbett were named as those co-chairs. So we'll definitely be meeting with these folks soon, if we haven't already, uh, to go over our legislative agenda with them. Speaking of which, let's talk about our legislative agenda. It's always really good to start the new year off with a plan for the legislative long session. And I'm happy that uh, you and I, Elizabeth, we've been able to work with our members over the past few months and identify some key priorities for changes needed in public education in 2023. Yep. And and if you've been listening to our podcast, you know that we not only represent superintendents and principals, 
but we also represent school administrators across all different sectors. So things like child nutrition, transportation, public relations, information technology, special education, you name it. Absolutely. We do advocate for a lot of great school leaders who oversee different functions in in our daily school operations. And we have more than 7,000 total in our membership, which is unbelievable at times. But we're so proud of all the the, um, school leaders out there doing great work in public education. Because of that, our legislative agenda might be a little larger than that of other groups that work in the halls of the General Assembly. That's right. But to help us keep things organized, we've broken down our priorities into five main areas of need. So that's recruiting and retaining the best personnel for our schools, um, accountability system reform, adequate and equitable resources, student health and well-being, and effective and efficient operations. And we know that based on the legislative survey we sent out to NCASA members in the fall, that addressing personnel, recruitment, and retention was one of the top priorities for almost every school administrator in the state. We would definitely appreciate more state support for those employees, as well as more stability and pay for our principals. Right now, we're seeing principal salaries fluctuate by thousands of dollars each year, And that makes it very hard for them to pay bills and raise families. We're asking state lawmakers this year to reform the current principal pay plan to provide more stability and base pay while allowing principals to earn more based on school performance, experience as a principal, and accounting for the overall complexity of the school that he or she leads. I think those changes are definitely needed, Catherine, and thankfully, um, State Superintendent Truett is also on board with reforming the principal pay plan, um, as she's mentioned in uh, recently in the past couple of weeks. And in fact, you might see some overlap between the legislative goals for NCASA and different organizations, such as the um, State Board of Education or the Department of Public Instruction. And we're grateful that we get to work with people from across all parties, no matter who's in leadership positions and across all backgrounds on behalf of our schools. Indeed, Elizabeth. It, it takes a lot of people working together to support our public schools. So we're glad we have lots of lots of folks interested in collaborating with us. We know another priority that Superintendent Truitt has mentioned that's also on our list is reforming the current school performance grading system. And right now, our schools are given an A through F letter grade based on 80% student performance on annual testing, and then 20% based on how much students grow in uh, in their learning from one year to the next. In other states, these percentages are usually more balanced, or those states could have a totally different accountability system altogether and not use the A through F letter grades. That's right. And we'd love to incorporate more components into our system uh, so our communities can better understand really how complex our schools are and all the great things that are happening in our schools that might not be currently measured with our with our uh, school performance grading system that we have right now. True. And in that same vein, we're also advocating that the state increase the value of meeting or exceeding 
growth targets in student learning and revisiting the definition of low-performing schools so that if you are a principal moving your school in the right direction, we want to make sure that you and that school are getting more recognition for that. That's right, Catherine. And we know there's so much correlation between school performance and school funding. It it would be a little naive of us not to recognize that our more affluent schools typically, you know, have have better testing results because they have more access to resources. Um, So that brings us to our next topic, adequate and equitable resources. We want to make sure that we are adequately funding our schools and advocating for policy changes when needed. Indeed. And one policy change we would like to see uh, occur this year is the current policy around the K-3 class size waivers. That's definitely a tricky issue because smaller classes always sound like a really good thing, but it becomes very difficult for a lot of schools to implement. Districts have to abide by the individual class size mandates and district-wide average uh, ratios in grades kindergarten through third grade. And we'd really like to expand the waiver options for individual class sizes and eliminate the district-wide average. This overall would help uh, many of our districts that are struggling with things like teacher shortages and or a lack of facility space to add those extra K through three classes like the class size mandate now often dictates that they must do. Right. And we would be remiss to mention another thing that our districts really need, which is more mental health support for their students. Um, And that is coming to us under our student health and well-being section of the agenda. We know that the state recently created a school psychologist allotment, and we'd like to go a similar route and have a school mental health personnel allotment. And this would really allow our districts to use this allotment to address their specific needs so that they can hire personnel such as counselors, nurses, social workers, um, whoever they need to help their kids. That would be a huge help in many of our districts since we know a lot of kids need some extra mental health support coming out of all that they encountered um, in in lots of places during remote instruction and, and their time at home during the pandemic. That's right. And another thing that we keep hearing about is the shortage of childcare. And, you know, while we t- typically represent K-12 schools, we know that pre-K is so integral to student development. So it, we definitely had to have a few items about that on our agenda. Absolutely. School readiness is definitely a critical component of early grade literacy, which is um, such a big focus area in our schools right now. And we know that is um, building the foundation for the entire educational experience of all of our students. So we do have a few items on our agenda relating to pre-kindergarten and making sure our schools are able able to offer these programs to students and their families in local communities. That's right, Catherine. And and I could keep saying, you know, that that reminds me of another thing. Or, and you know what else our schools need? So you, you know that we could keep talking about this agenda all day and we still wouldn't be able to cover everything. But I do think we should keep it brief for our listeners' sake and save a lot of our talk for the legislators. And for our upcoming Legislative Advocacy Day that we now have scheduled for April 18th. Remember that one, Elizabeth? That's an opportunity 
for our members to come to Raleigh and talk to lawmakers about all the things that you and I have been talking about this morning that we know is on their hearts and minds and help identify the needs of our schools and our students. Yep, that'll be a great opportunity for our members. And we really hope um, that you all can come out and, like Catherine said, make those connections and really put a face with with the names for our legislators um, and and really make good connections there. And we will be sharing more details about that event soon. But in the meantime, we always try to keep our members informed on big developments at the legislature, whether good or bad. So make sure that you're receiving our legislative link newsletter that we send out on Thursdays and also subscribing to our Twitter page at NCASA Tweets. You can also email us at info at NCASA.net or check out our website, www.ncasa.net. You've been listening to Public School Matters with the North Carolina Association of School Administrators. To stay up to date on legislation and policy news affecting K-12 education, we hope you'll join us for future episodes and subscribe to this podcast. Thank you for helping us ensure that each public school in North Carolina matters.